Hey, this is Andy Jenkins, and welcome to episode number 12 of the Warrior Hope Podcast. Now, in this episode, I'm going to talk not with a soldier, not with a warrior. We're going to talk with a pastor, Pastor Robert Caridi. He's a leader that we met when he attended the First Centers of Hope Leader Training event this past February here in Birmingham, Alabama. The guy and his wife flew all the way down from New York got stuck in the snow, on the tarmac, up, mechanical issues, all kinds of things going on, but they made it. And so we really got to connect with them that weekend. Here's a little bit of Robert's story. He was born to an Italian-American family in North Belmore, New York, was raised Roman Catholic, and then followed from the Catholic tradition all the required religious practices attending Mass regularly. He graduated college with a BS in education. He earned his master's in special education, which is a subject that he taught for 30 years. And he's been married to Teresa, who joined him with us in Birmingham that weekend. Married her back in 1983. And he said together they continued those religious routines until grace entered the equation. In March 1989, they attended Neighborhood Assembly of God, and he heard a message of freedom expressed from the pulpit. In his words, his own words, he says, both my wife and I, we gave our hearts to the Lord that day and were born again. And since that day, by God's grace, we've never looked back. Now, Caridi had a pastor at the time who preached verse by verse through the Bible, thereby giving him a foundation of faith that he's learned to apply everywhere in the world. In January of 2015, his pastor was killed in a car accident upstate New York, and he, at that season, and this is important, he walked the congregation through the healing process of that loss simply by looking and serving in the field in which he was planted. As a result, something unexpected happened, and that church turned and voted him a special education teacher. With, with the master's degree, all kinds of qualifications, they voted him as the interim pastor, and then not much later, they asked him to become the senior leader of the church. For three and a half years, he double-dipped, did double duty, leading the church while finishing out a career in education. And then in June 2018, so just a couple years ago, he retired from teaching and has been leading Neighborhood Assembly, that's the name of the church, since then. Now, I asked Robert to join us on the podcast because of this reason. His church saw a unique opportunity to serve veterans, again, by paying attention to the people that were right there in front of him. A lot of times church leaders, they reach out to us at Crosswinds and they they wonder or they'll ask me after I've done a Facebook Live or a video. I've lived in church world for years and teach a lot of things that are faith-based. And they'll say, hey, how could we reach out to veterans around here? Like, how how would we do that? Or are, are there any veterans here? And the answer is yes. There are a lot of men and women everywhere you go that are are veterans. So Robert talks a little bit about that. How how do you serve them? Not control them, uh, not recruit them, but serve them. And he discusses some of the tough questions that he's helped veterans navigate. Uh, Like there's a difference between murder, which is wrong in the Bible, and killing, which is sometimes something warriors must do. And how do you discuss the differences between those two things and help 
remove the cloak of guilt, shame, condemnation that many times warriors silently alone feel. And, and by the way, if you've been listening here for a while, that has a lot to do with that topic of moral injury that we discussed way back in episode three and in episode four and in piecemeal at other times. Robert also discusses the necessity of, of building trust with people. He answers questions about medications. Some, some people think that prescriptions are all bad and that the VA doesn't need to dispense them. Other people think that medication is the exclusive way to go. Well, in this talk, he offers us a third option. He talks about connecting veterans to other veterans and staying in touch without being pushy. And he discusses the power of story and how many times uh, telling our story actually brings healing to us, but it also shows other people what's possible. It shows them that they're not alone, and it shows them that if we can make progress, then they can possibly do it too. Now again, here's how it all happened. Quite simply, the Karides began serving the people right in front of them every step of the way. Here's the story shared with my friend Robert Karidi. Okay, I'm actually here with Robert Caridi, Pastor Robert Caridi from Belmore uh, area in New York with Neighborhood Assembly of God. Uh, put us on the map real quick. Tell us where B Belmore is. Uh, it's right in the middle of Nassau County on Long Island. We're about 20 miles from the city. And um, it's it used to be a little bit more rural, but it's growing as the population moves out. Gotcha. Okay, so if we know where Long Island is, we know kind of about where you are? Yes. Yeah. All right. So that, I, I, I think the counties, like, I, I don't even know all the counties in my own state. I did when I was in high school geography and we had to, you know, memorize them and write them all down. And then history, we had to do the same thing. And now, you know, goodness, I, I recognize the signs when I'm driving past and recognize the names, but I couldn't, it'd be like playing well, the on the donkey, right? But I know where counties is. is. Two yeah. counties on Long Island, Nassau and Suffolk. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so you guys, you're, you're a pastor of a church up there and you guys have gotten involved doing some work with veterans. Uh, I met you uh, several weeks ago when we had the first Warrior Hope training uh, to lead the Centers of Hope, where we walked through the yes. curriculum there, uh, the, the blue book that people have seen online and the video courses. We actually shot those live during that. You, you were there at the first one. Talk to me about uh, how you guys with your church got into helping veterans. And the reason I want to ask that is because most of the time, a lot of churches, they want to do something related to veterans. They have a lot of veterans in their church, but for the most part, do anything specific there. It, it really just kind of revolves around on 4th of July. We have all the veterans stand up, we clap, they sit right. down, that's it. You guys have taken a different approach. So yes. uh, just tell me the story. How did you guys get involved in that? Well, we have a fair in Belmore uh, in the summer. So the church had a table there, if you will, to reach out to the community. And I strolled through the fair and I saw a, uh, another area where the Vietnam vets were. Yeah. And so I went over and started talking to them and listened to their stories. And I was, I was really touched. I guess uh, no better choice of words touched by what they were saying and what they went through over Vietnam. And I saw the camaraderie that they had one for another and the support they had one for another. 
So at that point, like, how do we do something to minister to our veterans? How do we reach this population? And just so happened by coincidence, which I don't believe in coincidence, I believe in the sovereignty of God. A week later, Reverend Fred Miller, who was in Suffolk County on Long Island, sent out a flyer uh, uh, pertaining to clergy who want to help veterans deal with the moral injury from war from a Christ-centered perspective. So I went to the conference, I met Reverend Miller, and that's where I met a, a veteran named Joseph Brendel and another veteran, uh, Salinthia, who worked for the VA. Well, we got together and we started talking, and another veteran, John Frias, who's a two-tour Iraqi veteran, uh, we got involved and we looked at a curriculum to minister to our veterans. Uh, July 6th of last year, we had something called Heroes for Heroes. It was a kickoff where we had um, he uh, heroes for our veterans. We had about 22 vets, some as old as 99, World War II vets, uh, 96 Korean vets, Vietnam vets. But the one population we don't seem to get a lot of feedback from is of our Iraqi and Afghani vets. And what I learned from Reverend Miller is that they're not really seeing themselves as veterans yet because they're so involved with life still and uh, work and family that though they may be hurting and hiding behind some of the things they deal with, the older vets, like the Vietnam vets, Korean vets, they've got time to think, which is kind of scary for a combat vet who's dealing with like P PTS or moral injury. So we um, got a group and it only came down to five, but there were five Vietnam vets that we ministered to. And the one gentleman, Lou, I was really touched by because I did a teaching on the difference between murder and killing. And I said, you guys aren't murderers. You were called by your country to defend as you went or were drafted by to do what your country called you to do. And after this study, this gentleman, Lou, visibly shaking, filled up, said, I've finally been set free after 45 years. And you can see that there was a major breakthrough from um, some of the things he was dealing with. His wife said he used to just stay in his room, go to work, stay in his room. And for him to come out every week and join in with our, our curriculum, um, was a breakthrough. All right. So, so Paul's right there. Um, and, and I know, I know you've got more to say, but you just, you, you, you were talking about moral injury. We've, we've done uh, an episode on moral injury. In fact, we've done, we've done a few where we had, uh, I'm just going to reference them in the show notes here where people can kind of go back and rewind where general Mukiyama, he talked about moral injury in episode number mm -hmm. three and number four, I did a long teaching on moral injury and so the short version of it is moral injury happens when somebody has to violate their conscience. We have this human code and you have to violate it for the purposes there. Uh, and that's the, that's the example that's often used is you're told and you know, you shouldn't kill. You, you don't even have to teach that. Like it's so just inbred in us that we just know. And unfortunately, when you go to war, oftentimes you have to do things that violate that conscience. Uh, I mean, and that, that can happen. It doesn't have to be war. It could happen in everyday life, but uh, war will certainly do it. And since that's the topic we're discussing is veterans, the killing thing. So you drew out this correlation between murder and the difference between killing. Right. Uh, give us some information on that, because I think that's really insightful and that's going to help a lot of people. Well, if you look back in the scriptures and if the original language is thou shalt not murder. It's yeah. not thou shalt not kill. And what I brought out is that even from God's perspective, there he allowed 
um, capital punishment. He told the Israelites to go in and basically destroy all that were there. So we see even from God's perspective that we see this judgment, if you will, carried out by the Israelites. Different from uh, killing in the sense that where someone has angered you, someone has done an offense to you, and you're looking to get vengeance. And so, you're murder, to get so murder is uh, um, self-driven. Self-driven, over-amplification over of anger, even if it's a justified anger, it's you taking it into your own hands. Right. Whereas like even in the Old Testament, you see Moses tells them, this is an example I just thought of, I'm asking you, to set up these cities of refuge to where a person could run if, if they were being pursued to be killed and to wait until they stand trial to right. where there is legality and there is uh, societal endorsement of what's happening. Yes, you're exactly right. So if you look, the, these cases were supposed to go before the elders, the judges, whatever you want to call them at that time, even the Pharisees as you move forward. And the courts would decide the punishment. It wasn't for the person to take that into their own hands. But the courts could say, go and do, be part of the punishment. But they couldn't, the person themselves could not come up with the punishment. So even as you're talking, the cities of refuge, it was a place where if someone killed somebody unintentional, they could go and stay there until the high priest died, then they were allowed to go back to their own country, all right, or own property or land, whatever you yeah, want yeah. to call it. But um, it was for the courts to decide, not for the person to take personal vengeance. And that's where really murder comes in, where you're taking personal vengeance on somebody because of an offense done to you or even a perceived offense done to you. Whereas killing is when our soldiers go out, they are being drafted or join up and they're sent into a place to do a job and that may include taking life but as you go back to what you said before being created in the image of god we were not created to take another human life so it does create in the depth of our soul a moral injury because we know at our core being made in god's image that this is not what we're supposed to do yeah. so when you can take a veteran and explain that to him that you didn't murder and that there is forgiveness in Christ. When they understand that they are completely forgiven and covered, when they can grasp that and understand what Jesus did on the cross, and they often use the, the thief on the cross because he was more than a thief, he was a murderer. That because he put his faith in the Lord, at that very moment, he was forgiven. So I think forgiveness is at the root of dealing with moral injury, with PTS, because they carry that guilt and shame so deep and until they can release that and know they're forgiven, they're going to carry the PTS or the moral injury with them. Uh, okay, that's that's a fascinating point right there in a lesson. I'll, I'll put some verses and other notes that we'll get from, from, from you. We'll put them down there to where people can kind of take a deep dive on that. Because I know that uh, people that are listening, that's going to be something that is going to be this big aha moment to where um, – we kind of lump those two terms together and, and they are very radically different yes. uh, where it, it com completely different opposite extremes. Um, tell me, give me something else that you guys learned um, it, th through that process. So you, you get involved with this veterans group, you're in there, you're dialoguing. And then, you know, I kind of derailed your story there. Once you latched onto that murder and killing thing. Well, one of the things too, you have to build that trust. I think there are two groups that veterans will trust. 
other veterans and clergy. Otherwise, they're skeptical. And it did take like three, four weeks before they started to open up. And what I noticed is we had coffee and cake time where they started to talk to each other. And that's where you started to see the, the, like the blinders come off and they started relaying different information that, of course, I sat back and listened to. And then you could get a feel from where they're at. But um, you have to build trust. You have to let them understand that, you know, what we talk about here stays here. And one of the things we did do, we had some of the uh, ladies from our, our church meet with the wives and make them feel comfortable while the husbands were in with us. And we did not mix um, men and women because women, as you know, can deal with uh, other parts of war, the um, military sexual trauma. That's a whole nother issue. Yeah, we had actually somebody talk about that. I think I'm looking back right now. If that comes up and somebody wants to go back, they can go back and look at episode yeah, number Gloria, eight. right? Gloria yeah, spoke Gloria about, about it. Yeah, so I think we need female veterans who are willing to get involved to help deal with that aspect of, of the trauma that they experienced. But also what we discussed is that medications, even psychotherapy, is not going to deal with that root problem of guilt and shame. So can, what are you guys seeing as the, uh, the, the place of medication up there? Um, does that question make sense? Yeah. I mean, even the vets will joke about that. Like they're ready to give you the pills and yeah. send you on your way. Um, I'm not a pharmacologist in any way, shape or form. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. You're answering as a pastor, not as a pharmacist. Right. So uh, I'm sure it has its place. I definitely believe that um, if someone's on the edge and it can take the edge off, yeah. or if it's an organic component. Or maybe it's slowing down to where mentally it slows the mind down to where you can deal with the deeper issue. Right. But go ahead. Uh, but yeah, or if it's organic and they need something to, to regulate the uh, neurotransmitters in the body, then they need it. But it's got to come to a point where that can't be the, quote, crutch that's getting them through every day. Or the dependence, because let's be honest, they may can turn to the bottle. Same thing, where they can take the edge off through, through a drink. We want to get them to a point where, by faith, they know they're forgiven and they can start moving forward. In a, in a walk where they're not being haunted by the memories. The memories will always be there, but they don't have to be damaging. That, that's a good word right there. So the memories may not go away. I mean, they're memories, but you they can frame, them, frame it in a healthy way um, or at least frame it in a way that's not harmful or destructive. The, you said something about the pills can't take, they can't, a pill can't minister to guilt and shame. No, it cannot. It cannot. I mean, it can take the edge off. It can uh, put you in a happy place, if you will. But it's like anything else. Uh, let's use disease. Um, you could take an aspirin if you have, say, the flu. It may reduce the fever, but you still have the flu. Right. So just think of PTS or moral injury as a long-term flu, and you can keep taking the aspirins. And it'll take the edge off for a while, but it's not going to heal the what heal kind the of flu of the soul. Uh, exactly. A couple of years ago, I had a, one of my daughters was on a zip line. Uh, I've used this story before and she, she fell. She was probably at the time six or seven years old, fell about six or eight feet. She landed on her wrist and she started crying. I dusted her off and then she was just really tired. It was the end of the day. So I took her upstairs, turned the water on, let her take a bath. She just kind of hung it there and her on her own, you know, for maybe an hour or so after she got out of the bathtub, 
uh, you know, she dried off and then she came and found me and she said her wrist was hurting. And right. so, uh, and it seemed to be hurting more than just normal. Like it, it was initially I thought she was just crying because she fell. And so we gave her uh, an Advil and then I drove her to the emergency room to get an x-ray and get it looked at. And it turned out that she had a little bit of a fracture in there. there it wasn't go. expensive, but apart from that pain, I would not have known, you know, it was the, the right. pain was a signifier to deal with something different. Uh, and so, you know, it was only because she was crying and because she felt this that we even knew to go to the emergency room, get it x-rayed. And I mean, come to find out, they just basically said, Hey, this one will, you know, put a little soft thing on her. It wasn't even a hard cast. It was just a little, you know, Velcro wrist thing. Okay. And she was fine. I would have never dreamed of giving her Advil every day for the rest of her life and just That's covering right. the thing up That's and right. not dealing with the deeper issues. So in that instance, and I, I don't know, it's a very simplistic example. The medication had a place, but the place was to knock down the swelling slow her down, make her feel better so that she's not emotionally overwhelmed so that we can go deal with the deeper issue. And I think what a lot of times that I see is that feelings are to our soul, what physical pain is to the body yes. or even physical pleasure. Cause some feelings are, are pleasurable. Some feelings are painful. So maybe feelings are to the soul in general, what physical sensation is to the body Yes. So when there's a harmful sensation to the body, we often want to get rid of it, but it's better to get rid of it and at the same time ask what the deeper issue is. So I think you guys hit on something there with the medication. Something comes up, use the medication as a tool, but not as a crutch. Exactly uh, right. But what else are you guys seeing up there? Like, what else would you share with someone? Uh, again, the trust issue and follow up. It should be follow-up where you keep in touch with your veterans. Um, you would hope that at some point they would get attached to a local church. But I, I noticed that, um, like I went and did a, um, a service at the VFW on Veterans Day for one of the guys who was there. Let's tell everybody what the DFW is. Uh, veterans of Foreign War. Okay. Yeah, so we went there, did a service, and he really appreciated it. He's, they looked beyond like, oh, it's just not you on Thursday night that yeah. myself and the other gentleman I work with, they follow up with phone calls, with uh, meeting them for lunch, or just to keep in touch with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that they, and, and what I'd like to see happen is some of the guys we've worked with already, as we start the curriculum that you guys gave to us, is that they become facilitators. Right. Veteran to veteran. Because the respect that I think the Vietnam vet has for the Vietnam vet it's far greater because they can understand each other. So when we see veterans start to get involved and um, take a lead position or a teaching position along with someone else, I think it's going to help. Well, it's, it's yeah, I, I think it's back to that trust factor. They have an instant trust that, you know, it's probably been earned and already earned and verified. You know, you, you've got to earn the trust. They did too. They just earned it already because they've already been to boot camp or they've already been to war. They've already been, they've already, they've already got the boots and the shirt and the uniform. They've already put in the time to build the trust and prove it. You do see a difference even between like Joe's and on combat that John was a combat vet. So when John spoke, I think they were, they listened because he was there. Yeah. You know, he lost three buddies. Um, he got injured. 
he was on the pills when he came home. His family life was difficult until he came to Christ and everything turned around. So he has a personal story that they can relate to. Have you seen that when someone shares the story that it sparks hope in other people that they see that they could make it as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's a living proof of what uh, the Lord did in his life and that he's, you know, he's now a principal of a, uh, of an elementary school. He's got four children. You know what I mean? Yeah. So God took him from the battlefield to the, to the ash heap and then to, you know, a child of God well, living a you know, uh, productive life. Well, there's this, uh, there's this verse in revelation 12 where it says they overcame, um, by the blood of the lamb and, and the word of their testimony, uh, which would be the word of their story. So it, I mean, that's all testimony is. That's just kind of the, the Christian version, Christianese version of somebody's sure. life story, you know, what the Lord's done in intersecting their life. And I love that correlation of that verse because it, it says on one hand, yeah, the past work of Jesus has made all of this possible at the same time. When you hear the story of someone in the present talking about how that past work, that finished work has intersected and intercepted their life, put it on a different course. It sparks hope in other people that they see that that could actually be the same thing for them as well. Yeah. It seems to be the case for me. I know that I was studying Jewish rabbis um, a couple years ago and I came across something there that, that, they believed and, and still do that when a story is spoken of somebody's redemption, that that story being told carries the same power with it that the actual event when the encounter had carried, yes. uh, which would be, I mean, you see this in churches when somebody tells the story of a marriage being healed or somebody tells the story of a financial breakthrough or somebody tells the story of a physical healing transformation. Somebody tells the story of being riddled with nightmares, post-traumatic stress, uh, moral injury. And then there's this redemption. Like, obviously it took the power of God to do that. But then when the story is told again, that same power is renewed, which is what some of these rabbis were saying is that this is why every year at Passover, they would tell the story of the Exodus and, it, and they would tell the story in such a way that it wasn't just, oh, God brought them out of slavery thousands of years ago. It would be he brought us out. Like they would own exactly that right. story because it was releasing that same freedom. Uh, talk, talk to that. Like what are you guys seeing in that area? Let me run that question by me again. I didn't quite understand. Yeah, just speak to the power of story and what you guys are seeing as people oh, get together. Uh, um, once they start to share their story there is somewhat of a catharsis where it's a release because remember these guys have buried some of these things for for years upon years especially our vietnam vets yeah and so you know they built a level of trust and now there's somewhat of a catharsis as they let it out like this one gentleman frank he was very he still has been very uh quiet and doesn't open up and i believe he probably did some things or saw some things that were even beyond what the other gentleman shared um so I think it acts as a catharsis where they can start to see a release. And one of the things you um, hit on before that you also have to build is there is somewhat of a <clears throat> non-belief, if you will. Either some have a, seem to have a belief in God or others will like, 
how could God have allowed this? How could he have allowed me as an 18 year old to go through this, this horror, this hell? And how are you trying to tell me that there's a God who loves me? So there's got to be a breakthrough there also. And I think that comes by we being ambassadors for Christ, showing the love to them and the understanding to them and the compassion to them. And then they start to open up. But uh, again, the this, this story, I think, is a way to begin healing because they start to bring it up, start to release it, start to discuss it. And then what you do is you try to give them um, biblical counseling without calling it biblical counseling on how that can be healed. Well, it just becomes very practical wisdom, too. Uh, I, I think and I, I would imagine as they share their stories in your groups that w- there, there's probably this initial fear then if I share this, what's going to happen? What are people going to think? But then once they get it out there and then they sense that acceptance by other people, that any guilt, shame that they were carrying, it, it almost a huge part of it disappears. It's the beginning of the healing process. Away. Yeah. It's the beginning um, of the healing process. Almost as if it's a, a skeleton in a closet and exactly. finally open that they finally open that door and find out that 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 skeleton that's been in the closet is is literally bones stacked on one another. But you open the door and it just kind of falls out. Like there's no there's no life, there's no muscle, there's no breath, there's no right. heartbeat. It's just a stack of bones that becomes clutter that now can be removed. Well, uh, think about one of the uh, stories that we had when we were down for the training the gentleman who was taking the ears off of some of the Vietnam soldiers. That might be, you know, you're in a um, society and you start telling some people, think of that, what's going on inside that person that, hey, I'm the guy who cut the ears off of the dead soldiers so that I could get a collection. You got to feel some kind of like, whoa, I don't want to tell people this. What are they going to think of me? How I, and so when I get to the point where they can start to share that and realize, listen, that was a, a different time. You're in a different place, a different mindset, but there's forgiveness and you have to move forward. Right. I mean, it, it, think about that. If you or I had done things like that, how we'd want to bottle that up and keep it in the closet. You don't want to let people know that you're capable of that. that right. You've done something like that. So you harbor that for year after year, time after time. It's just going to eat away at you. I mean, the scripture says like bitterness rots the bones. Well, so I think if you harbor this stuff and just keep it inside. It's got to take an effect on you personally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And then what happens? I want to mask this. Give me the drug. Give me the alcohol. So by, again, letting this stuff out of the closet, as you said, I think it helps to bring a healing. What is, uh, what, what is next for you guys up there? Like, what are, what are the plans? What's well, on the agenda? I think within the next couple of weeks, the gentleman I worked with, we're going to get together with our, veterans that we worked with already and we're going to see if we can expand this go to other vfws uh or um, other vet groups if you will and try to get more veterans together to go through the curriculum that we got from you guys and this way again train hopefully train leaders also myself i contacted our presbyter which is uh, he's in charge of all the churches on long island yeah and I'm going to send them a copy of the books, the workbook and the leader's guide. And at some point, hopefully get a consortium of churches where you guys can come up and do the training for the pastors up here. I also am going to meet with Fred Miller, who is Bob's cousin. And uh, 
and try to get something going in Suffolk County. Man, that'd be awesome. I'd love to come up there to uh, Long Island area. Yeah. And get some good Italian food. <laughs> well, or you guys do that. What's that? Heroes for Heroes. Like You're talking about sandwiches, like Hero Sandwich. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, where yeah, you that's started the whole thing. So now we're kind of full circle back to that. Heroes is, you guys do like, I guess it's like a Subway sandwich, but y'all don't call them that up there? No, it's a, it's a six-foot hero packed with one, we call it the American side, which is like ham, roast beef, cheese. The other is the Italian side, prosciutto, gabagol, all the uh, are you Italian? Yes. I should have picked it up from the name right there. So yeah. I bet you guys have some some awesome food up there. Uh, it's Listen, no offense to the rest of our, our nation, but I think you find the best food, whether it be bagels, pizza, Italian food, Chinese food here in New York. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Where did this cheesecake come from? Uh, cheesecake? Well, there's a couple of places in, in the city that I suppose that's, I make. But we, but we but have that's one. Not a, that's not Italian, is it? Well, there's, there's, there's New York cheesecake, which is made out of, uh, I think, um, cream cheese. And then there's Italian cheesecake, and it's made out of um, ricotta cheese or something, a different type. Oh, man, I had no idea that that was the difference. Okay, so I have to go up there and try all the cheesecakes. Yeah. Okay, so people want more information uh, about the vet groups that you guys are doing up there. Is that something they can find on the church website? Where do they find that as we sign off? Um, they can actually they can uh, go to the church website, send me an email at info at belmoreag.org. I'll put all that down there in the show notes where they can find that if they're in that area, whether they're a veteran, want to help with veterans, whether they're leading a church that wants to get involved with that. Uh, anybody that's kind of in that area can get in touch with you guys. And you can, yeah, and um, unfortunately, I, I'm afraid to even try to get to my emails right now, but I can get you information about Joe Brindell. You, you're flipping through paper trying to get email that's your problem i can hear the paper shuffling oh, I, I hate to get my email like it's email not paper mail <laughs> yeah i know i'm uh, old school but uh it's jj brendel i think it's at gmail but i can get you his email and and joe kind of he's the guy who gets the vets yeah he's the vet seeker if you will okay we'll, and, we'll um, get We'll get we'll put that down in the show notes as well, so we can get all that. Man, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for what you guys are doing up there and for connecting with us. We were so honored that you know looked on the list there of the roster of people coming. Thought, man, we got people coming here from New York, and then I know you guys got snowed in the, the night. Yeah, it, it was a, a windstorm like you couldn't believe. The wind was actually blowing east to west with a driving rain, and it just canceled all the flights. Yeah, so yeah, it was uh, west to east. And then you guys still made it, though. Yeah, we came in that night. We missed the first part, but uh, caught up the next day. Yeah. Man, I appreciate it. We were so honored to have you guys there. Thanks for really kind of taking this and taking the baton up there, running with it, spreading it out. Uh, we are praying for you guys Thank and you. eager to come up there and participate, do whatever we can to, to really help grow that in, in your areas. You guys seek to, to bring health, healing. Uh, to more people as well as help them deploy on their next mission. Uh, Lots of incredible opportunity up there.